We're gonna talk about the meaning of the church. How does a church come together? Hide and seek is the name of the message. I don't even know if that's really a good name for the message, but we're gonna call it hide and seek. Part one, you belong here. John chapter one, we'll get to this message, uh, this text in just a moment. Have you ever felt like you really belong somewhere? Isn't it, isn't it a great feeling when you feel like you belong? Well, let me say it a different way. Doesn't it stink when you don't feel like you belong? Anybody ever have that experience, you know? Anybody have a bad high school experience where it just, you were just excluded and it just felt like you were the biggest loser on the planet? I mean, believe it or not, there was a time I was not always this handsome and charming. <laughs> and I was a loser in high school and people excluded me. That hurts. The church of Jesus exists to make outsiders insiders. That's why we're here. That's why you're here. If you are in the church, it's because somebody cared enough to take you in, to welcome you, to invite you, to say, you matter to me, you matter to God. Come and meet Jesus. How many remember the name of the person or persons who had a profound influence on you coming to Jesus? Can you just shoot your hand up real quick at all locations? Yeah, isn't it amazing that they did that for you? Isn't that awesome? Are you awake? <laughs> oh, I gotta plow through this crowd this morning. All right, it's amazing to have somebody care about you and say, I want you to be part of what we're doing, amen? amen? Well, that's what the church is. The church is a group of people who are formerly outsiders, somebody made an insider, and we're not here just celebrating our insider status, we're here for outsiders. One of our main themes as a church is we are here, and if you could finish it with me, do it, we are here for those who are not, yeah, yeah. We are here for those who are not yet here. The moment you got saved at Waters Church was the moment it was no longer about you. Now you are the person who's gonna make it about somebody else. And we wanna make sure that everybody that we know at least has an open invitation to come and hear about Jesus. So here's the plan for the next few weeks. I'm gonna be preaching to you and in three weeks on Sunday, we start our annual end of January fast and prayer campaign. How many of you are excited about this? We do this every year. We're gonna invite all the new members of Water's Church in. How do you get membership? You come, that's how you get membership at Water's Church, you show up. If you don't show up, you're not a member. If you show up, you're a member. So if you're showing up, you're, you're a member. So in three Sundays, we're gonna fast and pray, we do this. We have lunch on Sunday, we're gonna fast all day on, well, we're gonna fast Sunday night dinner, then all day Monday, all day Tuesday, and we're pushing it off one more day this year, and we're gonna come back on Wednesday night. So we're having first Tuesday on the first Wednesday of February. <laughs> We'd love to confuse you that way. So first Tuesday is moved to first Wednesday so we can extend our fasting and prayer campaign one more 24-hour period have lunch on Wednesday so that you're not hangry for first Wednesday. And come and worship with us, pray, and on the following Sunday, the first Sunday in February is gonna be Friends Day. Friends Day. So we, are wanna, we, want, we want every single one of you to spend the next three weeks, okay, praying for and thinking about and planning to get your friend to church first Sunday in February. Yeah, you don't have to wait till that Sunday, but that's gonna be our particular Friends Day. We're gonna have things outside, celebrating stuff, stuff for the kids, stuff for everybody. It's gonna be a great weekend across all locations, and it's an opportunity 
for us to tell our friends and family members, you belong here. All right? So if you've never fasted before, uh, I challenge you to do it at least 24 hours. If you can't make it the whole way, I understand. I challenge you to go through the whole thing, and we'll have more details about the rules of what to do and not do when you fast. If you have dietary restrictions, you have to take those into account. So please don't go bold soldiering it and then faint on Tuesday evening. We want you to show up on Wednesday, okay? But that is the plan for the next month, and I'm excited. I hope you're excited. I know fasting and prayer is not exciting in the physical, but that's why we need to do it, because it's the way we rob, we, we, we tell the physical, stop ruling my body. Jesus is in charge. So that's what fasting and prayer is all about. Okay, you belong here. Let's talk about that word belong. The word belong, definition, to be rightly placed in a specific position. To be where you are made for, where you belong, is so important to the human psyche. The science is in, write this down, the science is in, we need community. I don't know if you have to write that down. Yeah, you do. Okay, the science is in, we need community. And, and this is a fact that has been more and more understood since the COVID-19 lockdowns. This move to save lives by literally hurting lives and isolating people. I wonder how many people died simply because of loneliness. You say that's not possible. Yes, it is. An MIT study recently done in November of 2020 found out that isolation creates a need in your body the same way that hunger creates a need in your body for food. The same brain receptors that respond to your hunger physically are the same brain receptors that, that respond to your loneliness socially. In fact, the same parts of your brain that tell you when you're feeling pain are the parts of your brain that tell you when you're feeling lonely. Literally, to be lonely is to feel pain. When you feel pain, you might not even think about this, but when you feel pain, your body is telling you that something is wrong. We don't like pain, but pain saves us from greater problems. Like, have you ever heard of that condition where people don't feel physical pain? And some people are like, oh, that'd be great, never feel physical pain. No, it wouldn't. Because if you put your hand on a hot stove and you don't know it's hot and you can't feel pain, you're gonna melt your hand off, cause irreparable damage, right? Think about this, that the body is telling you when you feel lonely that you are hurting yourself. Your body is screaming for community. This study out of Harvard, 2017, found that loneliness, being alone, doing life alone, is one of the most health, um, uh, one of those problematic health issues of the day. It will actually increase your mortality rate by 30%. In other words, you have a 30% greater chance of dying if you do life alone. And uh, I found out that it's like the same as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's the same health uh, effects of being alone in your social life, 15 cigarettes a day. Now imagine if you're alone and you're smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Now you're really in trouble. You need Jesus before we close this service. Now let me just tell you. Loneliness increases death again by 30%. It causes heart failure, strokes, weakened immune system, cardiovascular disease, type two diabetes, and more. It's one of the leading causes of anxiety and depression. It's one of the leading causes, obviously, of suicide. And social media, or shall we call it anti-social media, does not help. It actually increases loneliness across the board. So I found these stats out. I wanted to share them with you just so you're aware. 52% of Americans feel lonely every day. Think about that. That is a crazy number. Half of every person that you meet feels lonely every day. 57% eat every meal alone every day. 
That is astounding to me. And of course, unfortunately, for the millennials, again, you are the loneliest generation in America. I feel bad for you millennials. I really do. Social media, internet has not helped you. Pop culture, celebrity status, follows Instagram, all that has not helped you. You are the loneliest generation in 100 years in this country. What I'm trying to tell you is I wanna build the case. Never before has the church had such a golden opportunity to just give people what their hearts desperately need. Friends, people who they belong to. Come on, sometimes, as the old song says, you gotta go. Where everybody? 1980s children, come on and help me out. Knows your name. And they're always what? Glad you came. You wanna go where people know. Your problems are all the same. You wanna be where everybody knows. Your name, ooh, that's good. And we wanna be a church where people are known and seen and are valued. I was thinking about my last three weeks. I haven't been with you since Christmas Day. It has been way too long. The moment I walked into the building last night for our Saturday night service, man, I'll tell you, the Holy Spirit just came and entered into my body. It was powerful to be with you. I'm so glad to be here this morning. There's no place I'd rather be than in the house of God with God's people. And you better get a hold of that if you're a Christian because there ain't no sinners, no pagans are going to heaven. So if you like hanging with pagans a lot better than Christians, you better change your tune because they're not going to heaven with you. You're going to heaven with Christians. So I don't understand these people say, I don't like Christians. I like Jesus, but I don't like Christians. Well, heaven's gonna be miserable because <laughs> that's all the people that are going there, all right? But we wanna be a people-oriented church here for those who are not yet here. My family sat down for dinner twice this past Sunday, this past week, and it was amazing because uh, without even instigating them saying it, two of our children said, it's been a long time since we've done this, and they liked it. We need community. And today we're gonna talk about what it takes, what happens, what it takes, three ingredients to build the kingdom of Jesus through community. It is small group Sunday, let me give you a heads up at all locations. We're gonna have people in the lobby ready to sign you up for small group, or life group, really. Life group, three kinds. Small group, get together, talk about life and the word of God. Uh, action group, get out and do stuff for other people physically. And then E group, if you can only do it online or by distance, that is a part of our small group or life group ministry. So this Sunday, don't just head to the door. Don't just run to your car. Stop, talk to somebody, explore the opportunities to be involved. Apollo Beach finally starting small groups at your location. We're so excited for you. Tiverton or South Coast, brand new church, best thing you can do, get into a small group. And of course, those of you in North Attleboro, you know that a small group is one of the best parts of Waters Church. And everybody who goes to a good small group said? Amen. Amen. See, you can see it's them saying it, not me. All right, John chapter one, let's stand together for the reading of God's word at all locations. Verse 35, the next day, John, that's John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you, what's the word, everybody? Seeking. What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. Somebody say, come and you will see. Mm. So they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. It was about the 10th hour. 
One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip. And he said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets were, wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Somebody say, come and see. Come and see. Mm -hmm. There it is again, come and see. Then it says this, um, Nathanael, uh, sorry, Nathanael said to him, how can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, you I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to hear your word, to explore what it means to belong to your family. I pray that my words will be guarded and guided by the Holy Spirit. I pray that all of our hearts and ears will be open, that we will be receptive to receive all that you have for us today and help us in 2023 more than ever before, to see Jesus. In his mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. God bless you. Have a seat. This is a narrative portion of scripture. Narrative portions of scripture are basically just telling you what happened. And the problem with preaching them is that there's no real direct command. There's no real, okay, forgive other people. Or there's no really like, you know, stop this or do that. We're just, we're just, hearing about how the community of Jesus coalesced. And I want to say this, I've said this repeatedly over the years, but I wanna say it again so that you get it. The first thing that Jesus did was not a mighty miracle, was not raising the dead, was not healing the sick, was not casting out demons. The first thing Jesus did was starting a small group. This is the first thing he did. He gathered a small group of men around himself they were not high-educated people. They were not doctors of philosophy. They were not great uh, 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 oratory people. They, they were not great leaders of industry. They were common men. They were average Joes. They were fishermen and tax collectors. They were publicans and sinners. They did not have a long history of church attendance or religious practice behind them. They were from Galilee. Galilee is to the north in Israel. That was the outsider area of Israel. These were not religious insiders. And these are the people that Jesus began his movement with, which is great news for anybody who's at any one of our locations and you're in church for the first time or you feel disconnected already because you're not with it and, and you don't even know what we're doing and you're still offended that I told people with a Bible to judge you. I was joking, okay? We are so glad you're here. And if you don't have a long history of religiosity, can I tell you, you are a perfect candidate for the grace of Jesus Christ. He takes pleasure in making outsiders insiders. And so I wanna give you three ingredients from this text on what it takes to build the community of Jesus. What it takes to build the community, you only need three ingredients. 
Number one, write it down, seeking sinners. Seeking sinners. Now, now, let me rephrase because you might get the wrong idea. Sinners who are seeking for something. That's all you need. <laughs> Did you know Jesus came for sinners? He didn't come for the right. He even said, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sinners. I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. Heard a great preacher out in Colorado talking about this guy who came up to him and said, hey, do I need to give up smoking marijuana to come to Jesus? The pastor said, no. He said, I don't think you heard me right. Do I need to give up marijuana to come to Jesus? The pastor said, no. He said, you're the first pastor ever told me that. He said, let me just ask you a question. The pastor said, let me just ask you a question. Do you need to get clean before you jump in the shower? Oh, man, that's good preaching right there. It was so good, I stole it and gave it to you. That's true, right? You don't get clean before you get in the shower. You don't get clean before you, before you clean up. It, Jesus is the heavenly shower. The point is, we, we're just introducing people to the shower. We, we don't expect them to be clean before they meet the shower. You can't expect sinners to not sin. Sinners gonna sin. Pagans gonna paganite. You gotta be okay with that. You gotta love them. I know, they might hate you. Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And then rejoice and be glad when they do because great is your reward in heaven. In fact, if they're not persecuting us, we're not saying the truth. If they're not hating on us, we might be lying to them. Truth hurts, but it ultimately heals. But we love people who are far from God. Why? Because we were once far from God and someone loved us. You need seeking sinners. Now here's the deal about seeking sinners. Everybody's seeking something. Everybody is seeking something. And life hands you a bunch of seasonal seeking seasons. Doesn't it? You know, when you're a kid, all you're seeking is fun. Time at play. Toys. You grow up, you get in middle school, now you want friends. You want to hang out at the football field with your friends, play football, play catch. Or today's world, you want to sit in your room in a dark place and play video games with your friends online, virtually. <laughs> you get up into high school, now you want a girlfriend or a boyfriend. And you go to college, you want, you want education. You want a, a professional degree. You get a professional degree, like, now I need a wife or a husband. Everybody's seeking for something. Then you get the husband or a wife. I will have kids. Let's have some, let's have a family. Then you have the kids, you're like, let's get rid of the kids. How do we get away from them? Get them out. That's my stage right now, right? Then, then you get the kids out, and you're like all alone. You're like, oh my gosh, it's just us again. What are we gonna do? You know, seek, seek, seek. Everybody's seeking something. Here's the thing. Every search is really a search for God because we move from one to the next to the next to the next and we don't get what we thought we were gonna get, which means that there's something missing beyond what this world is offering. How many of you got to that point? That's what led you to Jesus, right? Something's missing that this world can't give and I've got some stuff. And this is the thing with some of you, you're on a search for one of those stages and you're gonna get it. By God's amazing grace, you're gonna get the spouse, you're gonna get the children, you're gonna get the American dream life that you want. And then you're gonna realize, is this it? Is this it? Well, I, I thought it was gonna be better. I guess there's more. Well, it's gonna go. And before you know it, you're gonna spend your whole life seeking for something that's second rate. 
God is what you're seeking for. You are made to seek God. Believe it or not, that's what you are made for. And in this, tap, in this chapter, I love what Jesus says to the first two disciples that follow him because John the Baptist preached to them and they were inspired by what John said. And it says in verse 37, two disciples heard John talk about Jesus. Notice, John just was talking about Jesus. John never says, hey, you guys need to follow him. He's just talking about Jesus. He's just celebrating who Jesus is. You don't have to always invite. You just have to let Jesus be the center of your story. You just have to intentionally tell people, man, the reason why I'm like this or the reason why I don't worry or the reason why I'm not, because I got the peace of God that is in me because of Jesus Christ. That alone might be the, enough for somebody to start exploring what you believe. And John the Baptist just says, hey, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples are like, where, where, where? And they followed Jesus, and Jesus turned and saw them following, and, they, and he said, what are you, what? Seeking, underline seeking. Everybody is seeking something. And they say, well, Rabbi, we wanna know where you're staying. And I love Jesus's simple answer in verse 39. He said to them, come, and you, what? Will, circle will, see, because it takes time. It takes time to know Christ. How many of you invited by somebody else or someone else, and we already asked this question at all locations, someone else had a hand in your story coming to Jesus, but how many of you would be honest enough to admit that the first time they asked you or talked to you about it, you were not interested? <laughs> That's how it is sometimes. You gotta be persistent. You gotta understand that the heart is naturally bent away from God. We're naturally turned from him. And, 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 and this is the reality of our searches is that none of our searches are actually good searches. They're not perfect, they're not pure. Even some of you have come to Waters Church. Here's why you've come. It's January. It's the new year. You've come because you said in January, I gotta get back to church. My life is out of sorts. Worst thing could be, you come to church for a couple weeks and life gets back into sorts. And then you're like, all right, I'm good. I'll see you next January. Or some of you have come because you're single and you've tried the pagans at the bar. Now you say, oh, let me get myself a Christian. And the worst thing that could happen to you is you find yourself a Christian spouse because you'll wake up with a very unchristian Christian spouse. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? <laughs> marriage, love is blind, but marriage is an eye-opener. Amen, somebody. And the worst thing, oh, I guess, I guess this is not real, this is not true, and then because you didn't come searching for Christ, you came searching for a spouse. Be careful why you come. Just come to know about Jesus. That's why you come. Let me know him. What does John chapter 17 teach us? Jesus says that I pray you give them eternal life and this is eternal life that they might know me. What is eternal life? Life in heaven? No, knowing Christ is eternal life. Because Christ is the one who made you, he designed you, he loved you, he died for you, he rose for you, he's coming back for you, and he can be with you through every up and down of your life, every situation, you're never alone because Jesus Christ is with you. You seek him, you got everything taken care of, I'm telling you. I remember the old uh, story by Bruce Marshall about the, 
the prostitute and the priest. And the priest ran into the prostitute on the street and she tried to ply him with her trade. He's like, no, I'm not interested, sorry. And they started to walk because he was on the way home. And so she said, well, let me go with you. And they had a conversation. She's trying to talk to him about, about having sex. How do you get along without sex? She says this to the priest. How do you get along without sex? He says, well, let me tell you something, lady. The, the female body is beautiful, and there's no doubt it's a wonderful creation. But if you get married to one, eventually, no matter how beautiful, it gets saggy and ugly. He's a priest, man. This is probably why they stay unmarried. Anyway. He says, but that's just part of God's good creation, and your beauty is actually leading me to the beauty of God. And then he says the famous line in that story, he says, and I believe that every young man's knock on the door of the brothel is really a search for God. We're looking for the beauty of this world, but the beauty of this world is the product of a God who made this world, and until we turn to the God who made the world, the beauty of the world will always let us down. I'm not saying don't enjoy stuff. I'm not, in, I'm not saying be a priest and celibate. I'm saying that your search has to be for him. Check yourself now. January 2023, good idea. Let's check ourselves right now. Why am I here? You ever think about that? Why am I in church? Why have I come? Have I come to check some religious box that God will be impressed with when I get to heaven? Wrong. God says all your... Righteous acts are filthy rags. They're not, they're not good enough. The, the, the Pharisees of Jesus' day, that's what they want to do. They want to show up at church with their big robes and their hats and their gowns. And they looked impressed. They looked the part. Jesus said, you guys are whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead man's bones. You can come to church looking the right way, but living the wrong way. And at some point, you got to ask yourself, what am I here for? Am I here just to go through a religious routine, or am I here because I want to know the one who made me, the one who loved me, the one who died for me? My friends, this is a great day to check that out because all of our seeking is somewhat misconstrued, which brings me to point number two, which is really good because it's not just seeking sinners that builds the community of Jesus. It's a seeking Savior. See, what I love about this text in John 1 is John is giving us the inside and the outside view of salvation. Let me put it this way. He's given us the earthly and the heavenly view of salvation. Don't miss this. The earthly and the heavenly view of salvation. Let me, un let me unpack this for you so you understand. The earthly part of salvation is that, yes, you come to God. Yes, you say the prayer, or in this church, in our tradition, you raise your hand, you open your eyes, you go through the waters of baptism, you get, yes, you did all those things. That is the earthly side of salvation. But what John is doing in chapter one is he's showing us there's a heavenly side to it as well. For as you searched for Jesus, <laughs> I got great news for you. Are you ready for it? He searched for you. So look, what I'm trying to tell you is it wasn't all you. You didn't do it. And I will be so bold as to go one step further and mess with some of your theologies and say that before you started searching for him, he was long, long ago searching for you. You searched because he searched. Hallelujah. Oh, you thought you came to church because mom asked you to. Well, Jesus told mom to ask you. 
You, start, you came to church because your boyfriend was begging you, well, I'm not marrying you unless you're a Christian. But the reason why she did that is because Jesus told her, you ain't marrying a non-Christian. And the reason why you are here is not because of your own doing, it's because there was a God who saw you before you were born and put his hand on you and called you to himself. <laughs> Pastor, why do you preach this? Because it's the only hope that I have for my salvation. Look, man. If my being saved and staying saved was up to me, I'd be unsaved tomorrow. My, my salvation is the work of God. So is yours. And the heart that forgets that turns into a proud, arrogant Pharisee. I don't want that. Gratitude, humility, and openness to God. That, that's, when you know, that's when you know you've met the Savior when you realize he was the stranger who was coming after you. John chapter one, verse 43, it says the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip. Do you see that? First two guys hear about Jesus from John and they follow and they're seeking. This third guy, Philip, he's not seeking, he's not hearing John, he's in Galilee. He's up in the north. Where, where hardly anybody is really interested in this. And Jesus decided, look, underline decided, because it's such a great word. He decided, I want to go there. I want to go to Galilee. And then he found Philip and said to Philip, follow me. See, the story of the gospel is not that a bunch of good people are becoming better people. The story of the gospel is that a God in heaven came for us. John chapter one, just back up in John chapter one, verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt where? Among us. Jesus came and lived with us. And we have beheld his glory, glories of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. Grace to change us and truth to empower us. And then some of you gotta get this because the different stories in John chapter one are telling us that the stories are always gonna be different. I want you to write this down. Every story is different, and every story is significant. J James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, was sitting in his tax collecting booth. Jesus came by and said, come follow me. T Matthew was not going to church, was not going to synagogue, was not interested in the religion. Jesus just showed up and said, Paul, Saul of Tarsus was trying to kill and imprison Christians. Jesus shows up and says, enough. You're not doing that anymore. I'm gonna change you. Every story is different and every story is significant. So listen to me very carefully too. Don't envy someone else's story. Some of you are like, I wish, my, my testimony's boring. Mom and dad brought me to church and I always believed and so I guess I'm getting baptized. What? That's a great story. So we're like, I wish I had that story where, you know, there was drugs and there was all kinds of terrible things. And are, are you hearing what you're saying? Thank God you still got some brain cells. Amen. You don't, you don't want those images in the back of your head of what you did in the past. And I'm not, I'm not demeaning the drug addicts and the former, all those people. That, we thank God for that. Your story is significant, too, because you're telling the people who are like you, you're not too far gone. God can save you. Grace is greater than every sin. So every story is significant. Every story is different. 
and is kind of the opposite of what's happening with the world, isn't it? The world is becoming churchy. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The world is becoming churchy, religious. What is religion? Everybody's got to dot the right I's and cross the right T's. And if you don't, you're out. And I'll tell you, what I'm seeing happening in the world reminds me of my upbringing. I was raised in a legalistic Pentecostal church. Man, everything was a sin. They were canceling people before it was cool. I remember when I, was, when I was a teenager, got my first youth pastor. My mom invited them over, gave them a tour of the house. He saw an album. It was Poison's first rock and roll album, Talk Dirty to Me. How many remember that song? Don't clap for that, sinners. It was sitting on my, on my floor, and the youth pastor saw it. He saw it in the front of everybody at the next youth ministry meeting. Hey, Tim, I saw the rock and roll music. You were like, that's bad stuff. You're going to hell. I'm like, well, thanks, Mom. <laughs> Canceled. It's amazing how the world claims to be diverse and is becoming a, a totalitarian, unified state. That's the lie of the enemy. That's the... That's the failure of our current culture. But the good news of the gospel is that everybody comes different. And everybody is different. And everybody's at a different stage. And we don't look down at those who are behind or in front. No, we just encourage everybody. I know you failed this week, but come on back to church. Jesus Christ is waiting for you. I know you're not like me, but I love you because we are bonded by the blood of Jesus Christ. You might be a different color. You might be a different nationality. You might be a different gender. But in Jesus Christ, there's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. There's neither Greek nor Jew. There's just one body in Christ Jesus. We're all different, but we're all called by the blood of Jesus Christ and changed into one new person. It's not the work of man, it's the work of God. So your story is significant to other people. That's, by the way, why Chris or our other location pastors are gonna ask you to get baptized and get video recorded about your story so that your story can inspire other people. We just had it played up here, Apollo Beach, Jose Cato getting saved, his son in the, in the front row while he's getting baptized, and he comes up to me after church that day and says, I want to get baptized next week. Your story inspires other stories. Let's go on. Verse 45. Philip found Nathaniel. Well, I love this. The first thing Andrew does is find Peter. The first thing Philip does is find Nathaniel. This is, is intentionally in the text to teach us that the church of Jesus Christ grows through people reaching people. Philip found Nathanael, said when we found him, of whom Moses and the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, now that just must have just been some kind of like, I don't know, high school football rivalry thing here. Because Nathanael is from Cana. That's where we're gonna be next chapter in, on John chapter two. Nathanael's from Cana. Cana is a short 10 minute walk from Nazareth. I've been to both towns. So I don't know if there was some kind of like heated, I don't know, basketball, football rivalry. But the first response of Nathaniel is, can anything good come from there? It's like this Mason-Dixon line. Can anything good come from there? And what does, what, does, what does Philip say? Come and see. That's it, just come and see. 
Oh, I don't want to go to church. They'll just judge me. Well, just come and sing. Let's sing. Well, I don't want to come to church. I don't believe like you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, okay, fine. But just maybe just come and see. And you never know what's going to happen when you bring somebody close to Jesus. Because I love what happens with Nathaniel. I love what happens. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. See, this is the point that I want to make here under this text is this. We don't seek Jesus without Jesus seeking us. Oh, I know Philip came and got you, Nathanael, but I was watching you before he even came. That's the truth about you and me. I had my eyes on you before anybody else asked you. Jesus seeks us. We don't just seek him. He seeks us. The first seeker in the Bible is God the Father. When Adam and Eve sin and jump in the bushes and start hiding, it's God who comes out and says, where are you? Genesis 3, verse 9. Jesus shows up at Zacchaeus' house. He says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. That's what I'm here. I'm here looking for you. Who in this building? Who in our other locations right now? That's what's happening for you. God is looking for you. Will you respond? That's the earthly part of salvation. The earthly part of salvation is you respond. The heavenly part of salvation is he comes looking for you. And so John chapter one, verse 49, I love this. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Here's why I love that text. Nathaniel was a skeptic, right? That was what he said. Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? And, and I love the honest people. Some of you are like Nathaniel's. You're not convinced quickly. You're the people the home shopping network hates because they can't sell you nothing, right? You gotta be totally, you gotta have something happen and I love it. I love the skeptics. I love the people you're listening to me right now and you're like, mm, yeah, nah, I'm not buying it. I'm not. Yeah, 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 fine. That was Nathaniel. Nathaniel came and as soon as he comes up to Jesus, Jesus is like, I saw you before you even were invited. And I love it because Nathaniel's just like, he falls to his knees. Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. He becomes the most theologically accurate invitee of this entire chapter. Gives Jesus three titles. Rabbi, son of God, king of Israel. He nails it. But he was the hardest skeptic. Don't give up on those skeptics in your life. Don't give up on those people who say, nah, not for me, not for me. They just might be. And I think about it like this. There's always a generational conversion that changes the world. C.S. Lewis was one of them. I think right now Jordan Peterson is one of them. I think if you look back on, in church history, the North African church father, St. Augustine, was one of them. St. Augustine was a, a, a drunkard and a rebel and didn't want anything to do with God, and his mother prayed for him for 30 some odd years. You know how he came to Christ? He came to Christ because he read one verse in Romans chapter 13, be no more drunk with wine. And that verse, just that verse, changed his heart and brought him to Jesus Christ. And literally, St. Augustine saved the church from heresy in the fourth century. And that, 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 that's usually what God does. He changes the hardest hearts and turns them into the most radical followers of Jesus. Saul of Tarsus becomes Paul the apostle. So there is seeking sinners, there's a seeking savior, and here's the third ingredient of what it takes to build the community of Jesus, seeking saints. Seeking sinners, people who are looking for something that only God can give them, 
a seeking Savior, the heavenly part of salvation, and then seeking saints, people who invite people to meet Jesus. Let me ask you a question, real simple. Are you in the business of inviting people to know Jesus? I think that sometimes, and I am talking to myself and about myself here, is we forget that's our job. Like, that's what I'm here for. It's not just my job as a pastor, your job as a member of Waters Church. You're, you're not just at that job doing whatever job it is that you do. You're there as a representative of Jesus for the people who need him. And I, I know, I know, oh boy, I, I, I know about New England up here. It's hard. But down in the south, our Apollo Beach location knows that, man, there's a lot of people just go to church out of routine. And so there's different troubles and different trials in every locale. But we gotta remember that we gotta be people who are seeking people to introduce them to Jesus Christ. Here's what happens in verse 40. It says, one of the two who heard John speak, followed Jesus, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon. Again, Philip found Nathaniel, verse 45. But you know what I love about uh, Andrew? Do you know what I love about Andrew? I love this. Every time you see Andrew in John's gospel is, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. You never hear Andrew preach. You never hear Andrew write a Bible book. There's no gospel according to Andrew in the Bible. I've checked, okay? There's, there's no book. There's no great story of Andrew. We don't see him doing any miracles or anything. All that you see Andrew doing is saying, hey, come and see Jesus. And in chapter one, he brings Peter, his brother. And from that point on, it's even in the text there. From that point on, Andrew is now officially known as what? Simon Peter's brother. What a pain in the neck. <laughs> I always imagine Andrew in heaven being like, you know I have a last name. I'm not just Simon Peter's last brother, right? In John chapter six, he brings the little boy with the five loaves and the two fish to Jesus. It's Andrew that makes the miracle happen. In John chapter 12, there's some Greeks, there's some Gentiles who wanna come and meet Jesus, the Jewish rabbi. And that was unheard of in the ancient world. And it was Andrew that brings the Greeks to meet Jesus. See, not everybody has to be a Tim. Not everybody has to be a preacher. But anybody can be an Andrew. Anybody can be somebody who just says, hey, why don't you come to church with me? Found people. Find people. That's what it is. That's what this business is about. That's what this church is about finding people. One of my heroes in the faith is D.L. Moody, but D.L. Moody, and D.L. Moody changed the world in the 1800s. Mighty man of God. From Massachusetts, by the way. Changed the world. But you know that D.L. Moody was led to Christ by a guy named Edward Kimball at 20 State Street in Boston, Massachusetts. D.L. Moody was working as a shoe clerk in a shoe store, 20 State Street in Boston, Massachusetts. Edward Kimball, a Sunday school teacher, came into that room, came into that store, prayed for God to lead him to lead somebody to Christ. And the first kid that he saw was D.L. Moody, invited him to church. D.L. Moody got radically saved, started a school that's still out there in Western Massachusetts, moved to Chicago. There's a church name for him. There's a college name for him. There's a Bible publishing organization named for D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody traveled around the world to over 100 countries and brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to untold number of people in the 1800s before there was planes. <laughs> and nobody knows Edward Kimball, but a lot of people knew who D.L. Moody was. 
In the 1930s, there was a farmhand named Albert McMacken who got radically saved and went around the area of North Carolina trying to find kids to bring them to the crusade, the Christian crusade, preached by Mordecai Heim every single day, every single night. And he would go and he would get these kids and he would bring them in to get them saved. There's one kid that was, according to Albert McMacken, too interested in girls and fun to come to church. And so he, he ployed him in, he plied him in, here's what he did. He offered that boy to drive the milk truck filled with all those students to go to the church that night. And that boy that he asked to come and gave him the opportunity to drive the milk truck was a guy named Billy Graham. And you never know what an invite will do. An invite to church. You're on, you're on the other side. You're on the other side of a, of a world-changing event. And you never know what will happen. A lot of you people don't know the name James and Ann Thompson. A couple of powerful, radical Christians in South Africa in the 1950s and 60s who were praying for Ann's brother to come to Christ. He was a drunkard, he was a philanderer, he wanted nothing to do with Jesus, and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed for a decade. Nothing happened, finally, one day, he surrendered his life to Jesus. His name was Thomas Geyser. He's our pastor in Norwood radically changed, moved to the Americans, moved to Boston, Massachusetts to be the pastor of a little small church of radical legalistic Italian Pentecostals. And within seven years, that church was filled with 40 nations of people because that's the power of an invite where we tell somebody who's far from God, you belong here.